What we're really talking about is, is practical use cases that we actually do use it for in the hopes that you can understand why we use it and how it works and what its purposes are and just kind of demystify the whole thing so it doesn't seem like this magic bullet. This is the Self-Recording Band Podcast, the show where we help you make exciting records on your own, wherever you are, DIY style. Let's go. Hello and welcome to the Self-Recording Band Podcast. I am your host, Benedict Tyne, and I'm here with my friend and co-host, Malcolm Owen Flood. How are you, Malcolm? Hello, Benny. I'm great, man. I mixed a pop-punk song the other week, or maybe that was last week. Yeah, last week, and I had so much fun. Pop-punk so much fun. I'm just so yes, glad that music is. exists again. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, totally. It's, it's a lot of fun. What was it? Like, Can you say the band? Uh, yep, her name is Darian Gerard, and uh, actually, I shared the mix with you. Now that I think about it, oh Benny. yeah, is, is you, that one? You yeah, gave me some, so that was some cool. good feedback on that, and I think that that those notes really helped actually get it to exactly where we wanted it. Oh, great, um, nice. and yeah, yeah, just high energy music, and like you know, pop punk so magical because like the arrangements just like lend themselves to good sounding mixes. You know, yeah. like like everything just has its little place and it's all high energy and the drum beats are catchy like it's just all all a win to me i know some people despise that music but i love it <laughs> yeah i had to learn to love it or I, I actually honestly i think deep inside me i always loved it but yeah, i couldn't admit i think people's got to admit it. they love it <laughs> yeah totally like i was like there was no way i would have admitted that like i don't know 15 20 years ago uh when we listened to real quote unquote real punk bands you know mm-hmm. But then at some point, I didn't care anymore at all. And now I'm proudly telling everybody that I love those bands. And I always yeah. did, but I just wasn't willing to admit. You know. <laughs> I can listen funny. to, even like, I can listen to Avril Lavigne or something. Even and, and Honestly, like, just threw on her new album because she's, yeah. she's making a comeback right now. And I was like, okay, yeah. I got to check this out. There's some banger songs on there. Well the, done, Apple. Definitely. A Canadian def- treasure yet again. <laughs> yes, definitely. And, and also like totally unrelated to everything now, but... But what I found interesting is it's like it's been like I don't know twenty years, twenty five years almost since she first released something, and her voice sounds just like it sounded back then, and she yeah. looks just like she looked back then. It's almost yeah. like time has there's no you know there was like <laughs> she there's no time in between that. Yeah, really, <laughs> honestly, it's like the same thing. <laughs> have you crazy. heard? This is such a stupid thing to talk about on the podcast. I'm sorry, everyone, but have you heard of the the Avril Lavigne is dead? conspiracy i definitely heard of that it's been a while but i definitely heard of that and i thought it was hilarious yeah 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 totally totally look, just look that up people you will find it just google yeah, that if we, you're we won't go That's down that road thing. no no but yeah i've definitely heard it i was yeah i forgot about it but yes people are crazy man people are really crazy yeah and they go down these rabbit holes and do all the research to prove their point and they, it's so crazy yeah yeah i think yeah. they overestimate the the power of the music industry in that case but yeah I think so too. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but gotta love pop punk. So pop punk. So, and I, I love that mix, by the way. I, as you said, I gave you a little bit of feedback. Well, it wasn't much because it didn't need much. So at least I thought so. And I really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, it's fun to mix. Definitely. I love to do those things. Yeah. Yeah. Darian signed off on the mix. We're finished and uh, more songs awesome. on the way. So awesome. Yeah, really, be fun. really, really, really cool. So to sort of, yeah, get to today's topic of, of of the episode. Did you use any multiband compression in there? <laughs> you know what? I did. Uh, I, did? Think okay. on, I think on one thing, uh, which, okay, okay. which is my most common use of it. Okay. But yeah, listeners, we are talking about when and how to use multiband compression. That is yeah. uh, our, our topic for this. It's so heavily requested. 
and we've like begrudgingly avoided it, I think, because we don't think it's that important. And, yeah. and, but it is finally like we just have to address it and explain why it's not that important, maybe. I don't know. I, I feel like education will, will get people to stop thinking about it so much. And yeah. what I mean by, by that is that it's for some reason, multiband compression just sounds magical or something. And people seem to think that it's this little like magic fix everything tool and is the, or maybe not fix everything tool, but is the, is the secret to things sounding professional um, and, and having pro mixes. And, and that's just, just not the case at all. It, it, that's like having, saying having a lighter is, is the, the secret to having a bonfire or something. It's like, well, it, it, it'll help you start a fire, but like, yeah. you know, there's other things involved. I don't know. It's the weirdest analogy I could have chosen. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if bonfires are popular in Germany, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I they are. They are. They are for sure. I just don't think that a multi-band compression typically starts a fire when it comes to mixes, <laughs> but... I... <laughs> you can, yeah, it can set your mix on fire in a bad way. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah that's true. That's for sure. That's true. Yeah, but I, I get... Yeah, I know. I totally get what you're saying. So uh, it seems... For, I, and I actually would love to know where that came from. Why do people think that it's sort of the secret sauce and the and yeah the, the secret ingredient and and what the thing you have to do maybe it's because it's rather complicated and they think because they don't understand it it must be something that the pros can do that they cannot do maybe yeah. that's part of the reason i think um, that's part of it um yeah. and i do want to say that i'm like despite all of what i just said neither benny or i are anti multi-band compression no. it's a great tool fantastic i'm so glad Very it exists powerful. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it's just, it's just not anything different than any other tool really at the end of the day. It's just, yes. just a tool uh, that does yes. multiband compression. So when do we use it? When we want multiband compression, <laughs> um, exactly. right? It, it's really that simple, but I guess you have to understand what multiband compression is to, to, for that, any of this to make sense. Yeah. So yeah. Where, where do we start, Benny? Yeah, I love what you just said. When do we use it? When uh, we use it when we want multiband compression, because that means we don't use it because we think we have to use multiband compression. We use it when we already know that we want this for specific reasons. And that's, as always, being intentional is, is key here. Uh, and yeah, I think we we should, I think the best way to to explain that is to just give you examples of, of things that we use multiband compression on and, and the specific use cases. And um, And once again, it's really a fact that, and, and it might be depending on the genre. So, but in our world, in the rock world, sort of, it's very. If you watch uh, tutorials or mix walkthroughs, it's it's actually pretty rare to see people use multiband compression. And if they, I mean, you see it, but they use it for very specific things, like we do. But it's not that they use it all the time, or they use it on every on the mix bus or on on you know in every single mix or master that they do. In maybe in the electronic world, that it's a little different. But but in our world, it's definitely not something you have to do, and not something you have to do on every single source. Definitely not. So let's talk about uh, some specific examples. And by the way, if you wanna see what an example of um, a mixing session could look like, in my case, for example, um, then you can go to theselfrecordingband.com/template, and you see you get a free walkthrough video where you see my entire sort of workflow, my template, how I set up things, some of the go-to plugins that I use, um, the, the routing that I use. And you'll notice that there's probably multiband in there. I can't remember when exactly I made the video. It's not too long ago, so it's still relevant. But there might be multiband in there, but definitely not on every track, definitely not on every bus. And it's probably off by default. So uh, if you want to see that, and if you want to if you want to see the tools that I actually actually use a lot and almost in every mix, then you can go to theselfrecordingband.com 
slash template and watch that free video. Now on to the specific things. So you want to start that, Malcolm? Like things sure. you, is, are, are there any things you always do with multiband compression or is it often that you don't use any at all? It is very common for me to sidechain the low end out of my bass guitar. So, so sidechain from a kick drum to the low band of my bass guitar. Um, so on a multiband compressor, let's quickly describe what a multiband, multiband compressor is and looks like. It is like a compressor, but you can set individual frequency bands that that compression is happening to. And, and depending on the, the tool you're using, that might be anywhere from two bands to like up to six or something is I think the, the most I've ever seen on something. But who knows? Maybe you can do more than that on some. But like in, in the case of this use case, so which I think will help you understand it, I'm ducking the low end on the bass guitar whenever the kick drum plays. Um, so I've created a, a frequency band in the multiband compressor that is only highlighting and selecting my, my, my low end. And that could be anywhere from, you know, zero to, to 100 hertz, or maybe I'm going up to 200 hertz, or, you know, like whatever, whatever you want. And, and alternatively, you could select anywhere else as well. And then you're, I'm feeding the kick drum signal into that. And whenever it detects that kick drum signal, I'm telling it to reduce the gain, like compress that that frequency signal of that low end by whatever amount. And I can mess with the attack and release and ratio just like a normal compressor. But I'm only doing it to this one frequency band. So that's kind of interesting. So really I'm using it as kind of volume automation. I'm like ducking the low end. Uh, in the in the use case of ducking the bass guitar out of the way of the kick, rather than shaping it um, like a, a compressor mm -hmm. might be normally used to do, like when you just grab an eleven seventy six to throw in something, you're you're more so shaping something. This yeah. is more. This isn't really that. This is like volume control no. more than anything. Yeah. But that's that's something that's cool about it because if I did that with a normal compressor, I that wasn't multiband, I would be ducking the entire signal. Right, my entire bass track would be going down. In this case, I'm only ducking the low end, just just a little bit, and and it's it's so little that when I solo it, sometimes I can't even tell that it's happening. I'm just like, okay, I know it's happening, but I can't tell, Peace and that's of kind of actually the goal. It's like a little loudness trick. It's going to let me squeeze it a little harder down the down the line. Um, sometimes you want pump and to audibly be able to hear it, but but in this case, and it, it is something like I said, this is something that I do quite a bit, um, and and to varying degrees. Like like I said, often I can't even really hear it. Hey friend, this is Benedict from theselfrecordingband.com and if you are producing your own songs, I have a question for you. Do you ever listen to your music and feel like something is just off? Maybe the drums sound weak or the guitar tone bothers you. Maybe the vocals don't really cut through the mix. Or the whole thing just doesn't sound finished and professional, but you can't really put your finger on it? I know you want to release big, punchy, professional sounding songs, right? The type of authentic, unique art that connects with your audience on a deep level. But you're just not sure what's missing with your recordings. Somehow you just can't connect all the dots. And I get it, the amount of things to learn and all the conflicting information out there can be really overwhelming. Especially if you're a lone wolf trying to figure it all out on your own, right? Now here's the good news. Whether you've been self-recording for years or you're just setting up your first home studio, I want to offer you my personal one-on-one -on -one help. As long as you are determined to put in the work, I'm offering a limited amount of free one-on-one -on -one coaching calls with me. 
On this hour-long call, we'll dive deep into your recordings and create a personalized roadmap for you to finally solve the issues you're struggling with so that you can release music that you'll be proud of forever. If you are ready to see and believe that it's actually possible to achieve your goals and make the records you've always wanted to make, then go to theselfrecordingband.com slash call and apply for one of my limited coaching spots. I can assure you that making exciting and successful DIY records is very doable. We've done it, lots of other people have done it, you can do it as well. Talk soon, theselfrecordingband.com slash call. It's also this peace of mind thing that you know you're just avoiding buildups and it's just keeping things under control. And for the most part, it's not doing a lot. But for the occasional spike, you know, it just keeps things in check. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's preemptive, really. Yeah. It's, it's like a preemptive thing that I know I'm going to need to deal with later. And I should say that it's something I like to do right now, but I, I didn't do it for years and years. It's pretty recent into my workflow, honestly. Um, and, you know, I'm, it's not like I wasn't getting work then. So I guess, it, it's, it's again, it's not crucial at all. It's just something I kind of am enjoying right now. And mm -hmm. it, it solves that problem that way, opposed to do, solving it some other way down the, down the mm -hmm. chain. Um, okay. So so yeah, side chaining my my bass slow end control. That's that's my my main thing. What about you, Bendy? Do you have any common things that you use it for? I almost I, I know in the mix bus um, episode I didn't really mention it, but like recently I came back to using it on the mix bus a little bit. But similar to like it's almost not worth mentioning it because it's doing so little. It's like half a dB in reduction per band or so. It's almost like a peace of mind thing where I know that in case there is a buildup. In, in some part that um, that I don't really want. Uh, it just keeps things in check a little bit. It makes it more consistent. And um, I don't know. It's, 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 I'm going to explain that what I actually do there uh, when, when we go through the, through the list of how to set, set things up and stuff. But I, I'd say mix bus. Yeah. I'd say mix bus control is probably one that I do almost right. on every mix right now. But I could as well just turn it off, and it wouldn't be much of a difference. It's really yeah, a subtle, you know what? A subtle thing that I play around with. Now that you mention it, I, I totally have Lin MB, which is a Waves multiband, mm -hmm. um, and I I treat it like a color thing almost. It's hilarious. I turn it on, and if I've gained stage like I normally do, the meters barely twitch. And if it, I, if I like it more, if it seems a little more locked in, I leave it on. I don't tweak it yeah. at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, that's, and that's pretty often yeah. on my on my yeah. mix bus as well. Same thing. It's just really looking for things that build up and and jump out a little more than I want them to. It's kind of yeah. levels things off a little bit for me. Yeah, yeah. The one thing I always do, I, I really almost always do, is for me is bass low end control, which means. I compress the low end of the bass separately from the rest of the bass because mm. I often want to preserve a little more of the dynamics in the pick attack and the the, the finger noise and whatever and and like those those types of things. But I really want the 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 low end to be super consistent. And there's multiple stages actually that that the bass goes through in order for to to achieve that. But one of them is using a multiband where I only use the lowest band to just compress the low end of the bass or multiple bass instruments. I do that on my bass bus. So if I have a bass synth and a bass guitar playing together or something, um, everything there in, that goes into that sort of bass bus will get compressed, but just the low end, so that I have the solid foundation. That's something that I really almost always do. And uh, 
there's different ways of doing that. You could split the signal up and use a, a normal compressor, but just only affect the low end. If you like duplicate the track and split it into low and high, you can do a multiband where it only affects the low end of the signal. Yeah, in my case, I do both most of the time. But on my bass bus, this is the one thing. On my bass bus, I have the multiband compressor with the low end band. And most of the time I use that for a more cool. consistent fundamental notes thing. Yeah. Right, right. I, I want to say one thing real quick. I, I have to, after we've talked about the mix bus thing. There is, to me, two different ways of using a multiband. There's a tons of ways to, to using a multiband compress, uh, compressor. But, or as Brian Hood, my, 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 my business coach likes to say, <laughs> there is, a, like, what did he say? Like, there is a thousand ways to mutilate a cat. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> yeah, yeah honestly, that was my reaction exactly. But that's what he's, he he kind of started saying now on our coaching calls, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but um, like, yeah, it's your uh, attention. <laughs> exactly. There's a thousand ways to use a multiband compressor. But what I wanted to say is that there's basically two approaches, two main approaches to me. The one is to use it to change the signal, like to 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 you know change the balance, change the frequency balance, and and to uh, almost like using it like an EQ or a color thing. That's one approach. And then the other approach is use it like like you would use a compressor, but just with separation between the bands so that one band doesn't affect the other. Right. Th- th- that's the difference to me. And, and what I do on the mix bus is I don't try to to change the mix. I don't try to boost lows, boost highs, or change the mid-range. What I'm trying to do is I basically, actually what I do is I set the bands sometimes, I set them exactly the same. Like I would set a mix bus compressor. So I would have a typical mix bus compression setting on each of the four bands, for example. Um, the only difference to a mix bus, normal mix bus compressor is that a loud kick drum will then only trigger the low band yeah. and a loud snare drum will trigger the low mids and the vocal, the upper mids. And But but it, it doesn't really change the song a lot. It just prevents things from pumping so the loud kick doesn't move the cymbals anymore or the loud snare drum doesn't duck the vocal as much anymore so i use it as a very conservative very standard sort of compressor thing but with in a a more transparent way it's actually a more transparent mix bus compressor in a way the way i use it yeah used like Um, that is is very clever um and and very clean like you said Um, a very great starting point so you can't do you, you can't do as much harm if you start with that just set all the bands to exactly the same thing like a mix bus compressor, and and or like any compressor, and then watch and listen to what it does, and then you can start tweaking things based on the content of each band. But but if you just start by treating it as a standard compressor, and you stop you stop thinking about it as these four different things that you have to set differently. If you just think about it as a compressor and set it in the same, and then what you get is a, a more transparent way of compressing things, and you're not going to cause a, a ton of harm. I think. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Now, okay, here's the misconception though. People just heard that and what they heard is, oh, it's like a mixed bus compressor, but better. No, no, no. And, it's not. <laughs> right? And it's yeah, You're that totally right. that it's not. Yeah. It's just not. Um yeah. it, it, like that, you know, a mixed bus compressor, like he said, a loud kick's gonna make everything react to the the whole frequency range is gonna react on a normal mixed bus compo- opposed to a multiband. But that can be good and That's is something That's that is what we're very used to hearing and wa- often want. So just because it is more powerful sounding doesn't mean more better. <laughs> no, <laughs> not more better. <laughs> no, I actually use both in, in in my chain. So I use the mix bus compressor for the glue, for the pump, for the character, 
and and for the 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 reason I like it is precisely that it affects the whole thing and mm-hmm. that it makes things pump and react. So that's why I use a mix bus compressor. And sometimes, in addition to that, I might use the multiband just for some extra level control in a very transparent way. But that is not what I use a mix bus compressor for. Right. You know. So you're yep. totally right. You're totally right. So yeah, um, and, and I, I just wanna I just wanted to say that because it's helpful for the whole episode. I think that people understand that it's not as complicated. A mix uh, like a multiband compressor is just a compressor. It's like four compressors basically, but it works just like a compressor. And you can start by setting it like one, and then start tweaking. And I'm, we, we can get into some 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 settings or some reasons to tweak individual bands. But overall, it's it's just another compressor. Yeah, hundred you know, percent. Nothing nothing magic about it. And yep. if I say more transparent, there's also a cost to using it. It's not overall, it's not tra- more transparent in, than not using anything because there's filters involved between mm-hmm. those bands and those crossover filters and all that. All of it creates like artifacts or affects the sound in a way. So if you want the most transparent, most clean results, um, not using anything is always the best choice. So, you know, everything comes at a cost. So that's why you have to be so careful with multiband. You know? Yeah, yeah. There's there's this little phase coherency cost to just having it living on the chain. So again, yeah. only only grab it if you have a reason to be grabbing it. If yeah. if you want multiband compression, that is again why we use it. You know, because you said you you set it up to kind of transparently deal with like overages of like mm-hmm. of frequency buildup. I think guitars would be another cool place to talk about next, and and using them on on guitars. Most common place that I would consider using multiband compression on guitars is when it drops into like a palm muted chuggy part. Because there's usually this bloom of kind of low mids, low end at those parts that just muddies up the whole mix. And a multiband compressor can kind of just push that frequency range down a little bit to compensate for that. And used how I like it, it just makes it sound like it didn't happen. Like it, it makes it sound like it didn't get loud and, and weirdly bassy there. It just seems more even. So again, using it to just make something seem transparent and and hiding the problem rather than really doing anything crazy. Like I never use a multiband compressor for anything aggressive now that I think about it. <laughs> yeah. No, no, yeah, uh, totally right. Um no, actually not. I mean there is there are um ways of using it like like that. So there's the famous um what's the Ableton preset called the MOTT that's like just built a whole pl- plugin around the famous oh. multiband preset that makes things incredibly it changes everything. It's very drastic and very didn't you know didn't you hear about that? No. Like no. there's this legendary multiband preset in I think Ableton that electronic music people have been using for a while. It's that it's like yeah, one of those you know, secrets. I don't know. And uh, Slate just built a, a a whole plugin based on that. It's a multiband compressor that's uh, doing that Ableton preset on steroids, basically with a couple <laughs> of options that you can tweak. And it's actually pretty cool. I tried it, and it's really it, it does something that no other of my, my tools does. So, so there is ways to use multiband compression creatively or radically, but I don't typically do that, and I wouldn't advise doing that unless you know what you're doing or unless you want to experiment with weird sounds. But right, yeah. Oh, yeah, but I'm just saying cool. you can use you you can absolutely use it to do these drastic things, but it's not the common thing to do. Now so. that sounds to me like a creative tool rather than yeah. a mixing tool, though, right? Um, yeah, like yeah. how they're using it there, um, which is cool. Yeah, I totally encourage you to grab it and, and see what weird noises you can make. Like like playing with sidechain stuff can be really creative. You know, you can really create these weird pumping yeah. movement things. Yeah. Um, but yeah. what we're really talking about is is 
practical use cases that we actually do use it for in the hopes that you can understand why we use it and how it works and what its yeah. purposes are and just kind of demystify the whole thing so it doesn't seem like this magic bullet yeah. and it's more of yeah. like a specialist tool. Yeah. I would like to just burn through through my list real quick with like actually because I have in mind a couple of things that I can I can tell you that's that are really specific, really targeted. Because the more I think about it, most of the time that I use multi-band compression, it's really very targeted problem solving. That's what it does. It like really solves specific problems for me. It's not very creative, but it's like, yeah, it's a problem solving tool. And I have very specific use cases for it. So the first one being what I said, a little bit of mixed bus control where I basically set it up like a mixed bus compressor, but very transparent only to avoid buildups in certain parts of the frequency spectrum. Um, but it's doing very, very little. And I am still experimenting with that. If And I'm still not 100% sure if I actually want to continue using it, if I really think it's that much better or not. I, I'm, I'm trying and I'm like, you know, experimenting with it and I feel better now if I see that it's keeping things under, under control. But it might be that I at some point stop using it again on the mix bus. So, But now the more specific things, bass low end control. As I said, low band, only controlling the fundamental notes, making it more consistent. Mm-hmm. The one thing to be to be to pay attention to there is try keeping the rele- the the attack times as short as you can without causing distortion, because very short attack times will cause distortion on on any bass signal. Mm-hmm. And you for that purpose, like of keeping the low end transist- uh, consistent, you don't want to add additional distortion or at least not too much of it. So keep the attack short enough so that it grabs every note quickly enough but long enough so that you don't want to introduce that you don't introduce unwanted distortion mm-hmm. and for the release you probably have to use a fairly long release because short release times on low end also cause distortion and sound pretty aggressive so make it as short as you can get away with but as soon as it starts starts distorting keep it a little longer and then you basically set the threshold to achieve the amount of gain reduction you want the threshold and the ratio and for me it's like Two to three, two to three dBs of sort of uh, of gain reduction, and then I make up for that on the output, so that I have the same amount of bass that I had before, but more consistent by a couple right. of dB. That's I how I approach this. That in our like understanding compression episodes yes. that we've done, we talked about like hearing the movement of a compressor. You you got to figure that out before you dive into multiband compression, like as yes. a prerequisite. If you aren't hearing what a compressor does just on its own, uh, figure that out first. But one feature I really love about most multiband compressors is that you can solo the band that you're yeah. you're working on. So in the case of you know just working on the low end of the bass guitar or or bass of the whole mix, whatever it is, you can just solo that and hear the movement a little more clearly. You want to take it in and out of solo. But that that I can find to be really helpful for like shaping that attack and release time um, is yes. just just hearing that band. Yes. By the way, the compression episode is episode sixty one. Uh, so if you go to the self recording band dot com slash sixty one, um, that's where you find that, or just search it on your podcast app. Uh, so if you if you uh, need some uh, like yeah basics of, of of if you need to to learn about the basics of compression basically and what what the the, the controls actually do and how to listen for uh, what what compression does to your music, then you can listen to that episode 61. All right, then the next thing is what you already said too, the guitar mud control or build-up control where it might be fine on open chords, but as soon as you play palm mutes, there's just too much, it's too boomy. Um, You want to keep that under control. So again, one band of multiband compression, set it so that it, it, it actually affects the part of the spectrum that causes the problem, like the fundamentals of the guitar, and it can be 
a low shelf sort of. It can also be a bell just around where those fundamentals are. <laughs> and then you set it basically by ear to the amount of, you set it so that that it's still like moving air and it's still big, but not like overly, like not overpowering everything else and not muddy and not not covering up the whole low end basically. It's it's a feel thing. And you, it's, I think it's actually not too hard to dial that in once you play around with it a little bit. It's just to keep things in check. Totally. Um, and it, it's a, a yeah. very specific problem. You'll know it when you hear it. You're like, okay, I got to deal with that at this one part of the song. That, that, yeah. This is the tool for it. Yeah, totally. Then uh, sibilance control is a pretty mm-hmm. common one instead of a de-esser. A de-esser basically oftentimes is a multiband compressor with one yeah. band. So instead of using a dedicated de-esser, I sometimes like to use a, um, a multiband compressor. Some, sometimes one or the other works just better. So what I do there is I set it to... To, um, I, I, I'm targeting a certain frequency or frequency range, and then I choose. It, it, I can basically tell the, the multiband compressor if it should just listen, quote unquote, listen to that band and then react to it, or if it should listen to the whole thing and mm-hmm. react to it, or a specific sidechain input. So again, listen to the compression episode, or maybe we have one on sidechaining too. I think we have, where um, there's always the, de- the, de- the detection circuit and the actual audio circuit. And you can tell the compressor to listen to one thing and then react to the other thing. Listen to that episode um, to learn how that works. But basically, I use it like a um, like a deesser oftentimes. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, that can I, I be also mean to re- to re- to reduce or control sibilance on drums. If I think like a good example would be sometimes I think the crashes are fine and they might be a little darker, but the hi-hats might be overly bright, and they are a little above the crashes in the spectrum. So I might use a multiband compressor and only use the very top end as a shelf or something and only address the hi-hats so that the crashes stay the same, but when the hi-hat comes in, it ducks down you know, the, the top end a little bit on the overheads to just make the hi-hats less bright or less right. sticking out. That sort of sibilance control, you know, it just just goes to show that it's a powerful tool to solve problems. A normal compressor couldn't do that. But with the multiband, I can even if I don't have a um, a hi hat mic, I can reduce the perceived volume or brightness of the hi hats in the overheads if I just address the very top end, for example. Totally, it's a uh, yeah. And by now, I think people are kind of figuring out. Okay, if they want to, you know, compress just one frequency band, multiband compressor. That is again, we're just going to keep repeating that mantra. That's what this tool is for. <laughs> Exactly. Then the next one, I don't need, even need to explain that really. It's it's like just an extra bit of consistency overall. Like whenever I need that on any signal, whenever I feel like something is a little inconsistent in some part of the spectrum, I can just compress that like I would with a normal compressor, but I don't have to affect the whole thing. I just affect that one part of it. Yeah. So again, we're not even using all the bands every time we use it. Oftentimes we're just using multiband compressor to just use one band as you just yeah. said. So. Yeah. yeah, that that's a the, yeah great yeah. distinction. Is like you might have four bands there, but I usually only have one engaged because yeah. I only want to mess with one one spot of yeah. the frequency range. Yeah. By the way, episode sixty three is the one where we explain side chaining. Okay, great. Um, so if you want to listen to that, so one great use case, one example that's I think almost a hack that I discovered, but from I think I saw Kurpalu doing it, and I kept doing it ever since. Whenever I had this problem, I think it's it's simple, but so so cool. You know, when with real drums, there's always consistency issues with real drums because there's there are very few drummers who can play really consistent and like where all the part all the pieces of the puzzle are just perfect. There's always going to be some inconsistencies, and one of the most common inconsistencies is that a kick drum, when it's played really hard, when it's it's played when the drummer plays really loud, it's going to have a lot of clicky attack and 
less low end, especially if they stick the, the beater to the to the head. Mm-hmm. If they play a quieter hit and the beater bounces off the head and it's like a quieter hit overall, you're going to have a more boomy, longer sort of low end with less clicky attack. And if you want a more overall consistent kick drum sound, because like the drummer does these things like rather not not so in, like in, a, in an unintentional way, or if it just want to have a little more control over that, then what you can do is you can set up a multiband compressor on the kick drum with two bands. Or actually, you have to do it with something like Pro MB, like Fab Filter, where you can set one of the bands to be an expander so yeah. it doesn't duck down, but it adds volume to it. And then you can do you can set it so that it, you're basically creating a dynamic tilt thing, right. EQ thing, where right. on, a, on, a, on a loud hit, the compressor will duck down the top end to reduce the clicky sound and to make that more consistent to have a more consistent beater attack and it will at the you know and and it will at the same time let me let me think about it yeah when it, when you above a certain threshold when the, the the hit is loud it will duck down on the the clickiness it will make the click yeah put it like control it more and you have a more consistent beater attack and at the same time it will increase bottom end mm. so it will duck down the, the top end and it will boost the low end for every loud hit and for the quiet hits it stays the same so that way you have a more consistent sounding kick drum because the louder hits don't sound clicky and thin anymore compared to the lower hits yeah. so that's just one example of creating extra an extra bit of consistency and yeah, you can take that approach and, and apply it to everything else it's like just be creative and think about what you're trying to solve and then you can come up with these types of fixes to problems can be in a clicky bass finger attack or something can be totally. string noise can be pick noise whatever you want to isolate and control or make more consistent that's just a common thing overall yeah. very targeted problem solving and then yeah as you said side chaining ducking specific parts can be part of it but I don't really do that a whole lot I gotta be honest right yeah, on on the consistency thing, just two more examples, and I won't go into the, like, the technical solving, yeah. but I just I think that people hearing that example you just gave could then imagine applying that to something like a, a vocal recording that is got proximity effect problems, where they're mm-hmm. getting too close to the mic and it's getting like really bassy all of a sudden. Multiband compressor can be a great fix for that, right? Because you can you can combat that proximity effect. Um, yeah. Acoustic guitars are another one that is pretty easy to run yeah. into that same problem with even. The guitar, as an acoustic guitar moves as they're playing it, that can create all kind of weird frequency jumps. And a, a multiband compressor can be a very useful tool to combat that type of problem if it's needed. Ideally, it's not needed because it's like, it's one thing to say that you can use a multiband compressor to fix stuff like that. Mm. But often the that inconsistency is so inconsistent that it's really hard to dial something in to actually be able to solve the problem. Yes. Um, so so you do, again, <laughs> getting things right at the source <laughs> very yeah. important. Um, but but yeah, it like I I think people are probably seeing like this is a tool for solving individual problems. It's not like a magic piece of gear that just makes things sound better. It's a, a very precise problem solver. The last one on my list, because my list is essentially the same as yours. We, okay. we use them the same way. It's a, it's a tool for a job. But the, the last thing I think could be worth mentioning is using it as a transient shaper. Um, so most recently for me, I wanted the, the kick attack in the verse of the song to be less intense. It was cutting through great on the big loud parts of the song, but on the verse it was just too in your face. So I mm-hmm. just engaged the multiband compressor to to shape the attack, uh, the click of that, that drum 
differently in the verses. And it just made it like, it was just like one way of really subtly making it less pokey and, and being like, okay, it's just less in focus, less distracting for the verse now. Um, so awesome. you can use it to do cool things like that as well. Just to so shape. You ought, so you, sorry, sorry, just to get a concept right, you automated that or you created a second track and treated the, the two kick drums differently, basically? I, I automated it in. So it okay. just, just bypassed the plugin until that part of the song. That, that was how I did it. But you could totally just have it on a different track or, or whatever. That would totally work. Or and you know often usually for that problem I use an EQ that just cuts some high end. But mm. in this case it was like no I just need to it just needs to be shaped differently, um, which sounds different. So transient response is something you can control with compressor. So with a multiband compressor you in theory can control the transient response the different frequency bands right worth thinking yeah. about. It could be a problem you you encounter. So. Absolutely, absolutely, and you brought up a good point here. Some of these problems that we mentioned, you might just be able to fix that with EQ, honestly, and it might be perfectly, it might work perfectly well and might be transparent. And these are just one way of solving these, not the only way. Sometimes it's it's the it's the best way, not always. So again, now we've told you all the things that multiband compression is useful for, but at the same time, we still believe that you don't have to use it. And and uh, most important thing is you have to be intentional about it. You have to know why you want to use it. Then fix that problem that you're hearing, and then check if it really did the job that you wanted. So like you said, Malcolm, you you might set it so that it reacts to, so that it treats uh, or, or it solves the inconsistency problem, but you have to check if it really does that or if it creates unwanted side effects, if, it, if the cost of it is actually higher than the, than the benefit, and if it really does what you want it to do, because sometimes these things are not so easy to dial in. Sometimes you think it, it should react to the sibilance or whatever, but you turns out it only reacts to um, other parts of the vocal but not the sibilance and then it yeah. just doesn't work for the job. That's often the case also with dynamic EQ. Same thing. Sometimes I, I think, okay, if I just use this one band on this frequency, it should be solved and then I do it and then it turns out it doesn't react to the S's at all but instead it tucks, tucks down something else and I don't need that. So uh, you have to check if it really does the job, if it really solves the problem for you and you got to be intentional and if you can't hear a difference or if you don't really know why you're using it then you probably shouldn't using it you shouldn't be using it totally um, yeah when in doubt just turn it off honestly yeah and uh, Benny and I's yeah. both of our homework is to reassess using it on our mix bus as our little static thing we we both need to go look at that and make sure we actually like it <laughs> yeah honestly really i plan i was planning on doing some 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 blind tests with Thomas actually to figure out if if we both agree that the the version with it on is really always better yeah. Um, because it, it looks good to me and it makes sense logically and I feel good about it having it on that and controlling that 0.5 dB or something per band and the peace of mind. But maybe it comes at a cost that I'm not aware of right now and that I shouldn't actually be using it that way. So I, I can't, I've got a theory on this because it, it's something that I've been messing with too. And we'll report back on this on a future episode, everyone. <laughs> but uh, my theory is that the like because it does make things more static, consistent. That is yeah. for sure. Um, yeah, and, and that. I mean, sounds, I, I can hear the difference. I'm not yeah. saying that I can't hear it. I'm yeah. just not sure if, it, if I really like it better. Yeah, it, it makes it more pleasing, but I think it comes at a cost to punch in a way. Like a density and and punch is lost. I think um, mm-hmm. that that that's kind of what I'm hearing and and sometimes that's totally worth it but i i want to see if that's what you perceive is the difference as well when we're using it this subtly so report back we'll we'll get to the bottom of this (laughs) do you final thought on this while we're we're at it uh do you think that maybe going uh, because i've tried that and i think that solves that problem at least a little bit do you think that 
if you pay more attention and you more carefully dial in the individual bands to sort of combat that, uh, mm. do you think that could solve it? So what I mean is, if you think if you per, if you have a perceived um, loss of like punch, for example, I thought I could f- maybe fix that by um, sort of increasing the attack time on the lower mid range, for example, to let more of the snare punch through right. and reducing the release time to make it more aggressive. But like maybe having the attack time very short on the sibilance up top to to make that smoother. So, you know, change what, what I was saying. You start with the with the same settings basically, but then you go in and tweak them to match the needs of each individual individual band. And I sort of did that in an attempt to get the consistency that I wanted while letting the the punchy stuff still through. You know, that right. sort of thing. But so, I'm still not sure if it's if it's entirely solving the thing the issue. I like. I I would almost definitely not do that because it sounds like it would take way too much time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, it that's sounds way too tweaky, and and yeah. it sounds like okay, like at that point we probably should do something else. Like it's like a, an earlier in the yeah. mix problem, right? Yes, um, and definitely. then the the only other problem I see with that is that I bet it would work really well, but only for that part of the song, you know? Yeah. Um. So like if the the tempo of the song or part gets more complex or something, it could really fall apart on you. Um. Yeah, which is kind of another reason that we probably should reassess using multiband on the mix bus like we're doing because it, it's so program dependent. So we need to check it at multiple stages throughout the mix to make sure it's serving. Yeah, we got our own homework to do. It's great. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. yeah, yeah. And I, I do that, and I think that all is the reason for me only using it so in a, such a subtle way and never going beyond like point something dB, which is which kind of makes me think why why use it at all then you know yeah. but like. That that's part of the reason because as, as as soon as I push it harder, it like it's get it gets too obvious. So yeah, maybe I don't need it at all. But yeah, that's you know, the other thing is, at a certain point, and and I don't want to sound arrogant, but of course with experience and at a certain point where you are happy with your mixes and stuff, you want to improve and 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 squeeze out the next like final couple of percent or whatever of quality, and you try new things, and it's like a, a very subtle thing. So for me, and I think when you're professionally mixing, it makes sense to experiment with that and do these kinds of tests. But when you're just learning to mix and you're just starting out, don't even worry about all the things that we just mentioned. It's like you've got a lot, lots and lots of other things to worry about. And, and that's honestly probably true for myself too. But I just keep looking for things that I can improve or new things I can try. That's why I do these things. Yeah, yeah. If, there, if there's one thing that I hope that most of the listeners get from this is that they can stop thinking about it for a while, honestly. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. we listened to this, we got a better understanding of what it is, now I'm going to focus on other stuff and just forget about yes. multiband compression for the foreseeable future. <laughs> that That's yes. kind of the best case scenario, I think, is just awesome. take it off your plate. Awesome. Very cool. As always, though, if you have your own trick, it could be a problem-solving thing that you figured out, could be a creative thing, whatever. If you have your own trick, your own hack, your own thing that you like that you use on on certain things, let us know. Let like shoot us a message or uh, post in the community. If you go to the selfrecordingband.com slash community, uh, share it there with us uh, because we always like to learn about these new tricks and 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 and, and things and uh, that you like and you do. And maybe there is something we should try ourselves that we haven't heard about. So, uh, yeah, let us yep. know. All right. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Thank you. See you next week. Bye. Hey, friend. Thanks again for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this one, just know that this is just a tiny fraction, a small taste of what we can actually do to help you completely transform your recordings and mixes forever. 
If you are really serious about your music, if you want to reach your goals as a self-recording artist, then please apply now for the Self-Recording Syndicate, our coaching program that takes you from where you are to being able to completely independently produce and release exciting sounding music forever. If you join that program, you're going to be part of a very, very passionate, dedicated, committed group of self-recording artists from all around the world. And you're going to get a roadmap, guidance, feedback, personal access to me and the team. We're going to do everything, literally everything we can to help you make the best recordings you can possibly make. And it all starts with a free first call, completely free, no strings attached. Best case scenario, we're going to end up working together and we're going to completely transform the way your music sounds. Worst case scenario, you're going to get an hour of free coaching and an action plan that you can then take and implement on your own. So if that sounds interesting to you, get started now with your first completely free call by going to theselfrecordingband.com slash call or just click the link in the show notes. See you next week.